Well, good morning, Calvary Church. Who is glad to be in God's house today on this Easter Sunday? Jesus is risen today. Man, it's so good to see you guys. Thank you for coming out. Welcome all those. Come on, big hand for all those online right now. Online crowd, good to have you guys with us as well. I want to bring out a friend of mine today. He's going to read us our opening text from the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. And if you guys don't mind, stand to your feet real fast. I know you just sat down, but this is for our Catholic friends so they can feel right at home with, with all the ups and downs in the church service. You guys, that's pretty funny, right? That's fair. That's okay. Okay. All right. This is my friend today. Tell us your name and tell us what grade you're in. Hi, my name is Eric and I'm in sixth grade. At our school, right? At Calvary yeah. Christian School. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a big kid. I'm telling you, I like big people. All right, so listen, what's your favorite class? Bible class. Bible class. He's, you're the first kid out of like five that didn't say lunch. And I know you go to lunch. All right, read us the Bible today, man. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-6. Great job. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God bless you. You did a great job. Give my friend a big hand, you guys, and take your seat today. We're going to be... We're going to be all over the Bible through different texts. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew and then back to the book of John. We're going to kick off in John chapter 8. But what's interesting is this opening text kind of sets a tone for why we're here today. If you'll notice that in the house, uh, there's a little bit of anticipation and celebration. And the reason for that is we as believers in Jesus Christ, we believe that this is the day that we focus on and celebrate the resurrection of his life from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we can overcome death itself too. We don't have to fear death. We have life after death. And we know that through Jesus Christ, our sins are washed away, our past forgiven and we have eternal hope today. Is anybody glad today that Jesus rose from the dead? This is a resurrection day. And so we, we celebrate, and as you can sense, there's just this anticipation because we know that just like he came back from the dead, he's coming back again someday to receive his church on himself, and where he is, we shall be also for eternity. Who's looking forward today that Jesus comes back and receives us on himself? Now, this is important because we gather oftentimes this time of the year, uh, churches, synagogues, temples alike will fill their places left to right, front to back, top to bottom with people who want to pursue after something in a religious context or some kind of pursuit after the things of God. And they gather and then it's like we celebrate and then for some they will connect and they will stay connected for a few months or a few weeks or even a few years. But for many, we show up on this weekend and then we don't really connect why this matters. And today my biggest hope is to show you why the story of Jesus matters to you. Jesus died for the entire world. Not a specific people group or specific language. Jesus paid the price for the sins of mankind. Doesn't matter where you're from, where you've been, whether you've been raised in church or outside of church, Jesus gave his life for you and for me today. And so my biggest prayer, my hope is that today you're going to understand more about why this matters to you. The Christian faith is unique. 
Everything we just read in this opening text in 1 Corinthians 15 kind of summarizes the whole conversation. We believe everything hinges on this weekend. In fact, the apostle Paul said this, he says, if Christ isn't risen, then our faith is in vain. And our posture is simple. We believe Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he came back to life. And because of that, we have faith that his salvation of our soul and, sin, and, and, for, and forgiveness of our sin is sufficient to, re, uh, to redeem us back to our Father in heaven. Now, in this thought process, I know for some there's a tension there because you're now wondering, well, how... How do I know this is all true? How do we know that this book that, that you folks in this building every Sunday gather around and read and talk about, how do I know it's true? Well, the real simple answer is you simply choose to believe. Everybody say believe. believe. Now, whether you know it or not, belief and unbelief are both a choice of belief systems. And, and if you choose to believe in God, you do that out of a goodness and a will of your heart. If you choose to reject God, it's out of the same heart you choose to, to, to disavow the belief system. Because there's many things in life that we have never seen, yet we choose to believe. For example, I've never been to New Hampshire. But I believe it's there. I've seen the map and... I've had a few friends that have showed up there, and so their personal experience. So for me, my belief system is pretty simple because this book, as I've lived out the principles, I believe this book to be true because the principles have changed my life. So I'm a, I'm a firsthand user of when I chose to believe in Jesus, that this book and the things he talks about and the way that God has for my life has transformed my relationships and my marriage, my, my life, my lifestyle my health, my finances, my friendship, my eternal hope, my sins are forgiven, my past is washed away. And this is all stuff I get from this book. So this is why I choose to believe in this text. Now, when you think about this, the Christian life is unique because the Christian faith is the only faith that gives you a savior or a leader that died for you. Jesus died for you. He, he paid the price for your sin and for my sin. And all he wants us to do is invite us into a relationship for us to just simply live for him. It's not complicated. He died for you. Will you choose to live for him? The Bible tells us that Jesus did not die for just any reason, though. He died literally to save us from ourselves, our sin, evil in this life, and listen close, eternal judgment. Now, that may be hard for you to process because for many, this is one of the doctrines they have a difficulty with when it comes to God. In fact, you may have heard this said before, how can a loving God send someone to hell? And my response is, he doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go to hell. They, they reject his plan. They reject his way. And so if you do end up in hell, and I pray you don't, you're going to have to not focus on blaming God. Blame yourself because every breath you take is a breath in God's grace, God giving you one more chance to redeem your soul, to repent of your sin and walk a different pathway. God has made a provision for you to avoid eternal judgment. Jesus took the shame. He took the punishment for your sin upon the cross. And because of this, you can live a free life and you can live eternally with God in heaven if you simply choose to believe. It's not complicated. So I, I, I always love that question. How can a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't send people there. God, God has provided a different pathway. My question back is why would people reject God's plan to go to heaven? I mean, he's given you a provision through his son, Jesus Christ, that today your past can be washed away and you can set a brand new pathway for your life. 
Today I want to introduce you to the Bible in three different stories in Scripture, and then I want to talk about three crosses. If you've ever seen an Easter uh, picture or anything of of an artifact about this time of the year, you'll often see three crosses together. And on those three crosses, there was two thieves, and the center was the Son of God. And we know that, and we'll get that to the end of the message, but let's go first of all to a couple stories in the Bible. And I want you to find yourself in the story, okay? When you read the Word of God, don't just read it like a Reader's Digest or a, or a blog or the latest press release. Read it as a real interaction of people that met Jesus. Notice his response to them, and then find yourself in the story. Let's go first of all to John chapter 8. And this is the story of the woman caught in the act of what? Adultery. You've heard it before, likely. Let's go real fast to John chapter 8, verse 4. And Jesus, and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. I'm in verse 5 now. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Now for context, he had no sin. He qualified for this statement here. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this uh, time, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The oldest went first. He probably had the most sin. (laughs) He lived longer. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So the guys that brought her and accused her have now begun to dissipate away, and now it's just her and Jesus. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you. No one, sir, she said. Now watch this next part. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, now go and leave your life of sin. Now we love the first part of this because our culture loves the idea that we can't condemn anybody for anything. And so we often read that part, Jesus met the woman and called the act of adultery and he didn't condemn her. Nobody also said, go and leave your sinful life. These go together. Now, it is clear in Scripture that there are things that we're judged for, that God does have a scale in which he reviews our life. He has a measurement called the Word of God, and we're to measure up to the person of Christ. But notice this, Jesus gives her a pathway not just for condemnation, but for deliverance from her sinful past. And when you look at this, we see some things unique about the story. And we see some things we want to talk about for a few moments today. First of all, he doesn't leave her to remain in her sinfulness. He says to her, go and choose a different pathway. Maybe today you walked in this house, maybe you came with a friend, and maybe your life today is full of various sins, and you know they're sinful things. You know this. You're you're not shocked by it. You live in every day. You're knowledgeable. And today I want to just say to you, leave that life of sin. God has a better plan for your life. We also see the picture here that I think she represents people that can tend to feel bad about not being good enough. I notice this in life that um, sometimes people, when you invite them to church or talk about religious things, they will tend to almost live this, uh, this, this facade of guilt like, you know, I'm just not that good, so I probably can't come to your church. Well, let me just help you today. Nobody here is that good. Jesus is more than good. 
And everybody here today is saved by the grace of God. I observe this uh, in, in, in my life. I try to invite folks to church, and I often do it in places like my gym or the marketplace. And I tend to try to avoid telling people my profession while I'm inviting them to church. I try to get them to come, and then they show up and go, you're the pastor? And they give me that look like, I, because I always say, come sit by me. And so I, I kind of try to kind of mask my profession. And so I was talking to a guy one day at the airport. We were flying in a plane, and, and I said to the guy, we're talking, he's, he was a landscaper guy. He did out, 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 outdoor design and, and so forth. And so he goes, so what do you do? I said, well, I'm in logistics. I said, I get people from earth to heaven. That's fair. And he looked at me puzzled. He's like, are you like a hit man? And I'm like, no, I'm not a hitman. I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, that's much better than a hitman. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a lot better than a hitman. I don't recommend being a hitman for anybody. But I, I noticed this about the invitation process that sometimes when I invite someone, they get this look on their face like, well, I don't qualify to go in there. Today, let me just tell you, drop all the excuses. Show up just as you are. God loves you as you are. He won't leave you as you are. God has a better plan for your life. But drop all the excuses. Drop all the reasons why you don't qualify because the truth is none of us qualify. But we're justified by the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross today. When you look at her story, find yourself. What connects you to her? What is the point in which you go, I identify with that. I can sense in my own life. Maybe you have felt the condemnation of religion over your life. Hear me today. Jesus doesn't condemn you, but he does say, leave your life of sin. Go and sin no more. Live a different pathway. God has a plan for you. Don't stay in the muck and the mire of life. Get out on the pathway that God has for you and live a different life. She probably felt caught. She felt exposed. No, no doubt they did not do anything to protect her dignity when they brought her to Jesus. And sometimes sin can do that to you. Sin can make you feel caught. It can make you feel vulnerable. Jesus paid the price to cover your sin with his life. Let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Look, 19, look at a different story real fast. This is, the, this is the guy we call the rich young ruler. This is in Matthew 19. It says, just then a man came to Jesus and asked him, teacher, what, now watch this, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He's lived a life of transactions. What do I have to do to get something? What good thing, good, good thing, can I be good enough to get something from you? Why do you ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he required. He, hey, which ones? Jesus said the commandments, that would be like all of them, right? He goes, well, which ones? Kind of like having your kid go clean your room. Go clean your room. What part of it? The entire part of it. <laughs> the toys, make the bed, pick up the laundry, the whole thing. Well, you didn't specify that. Well, the whole thing is included here. Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false witness testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbors yourself. Watch this response. All these I've kept. What do I still lack? Now, notice this next part, and this may not be what you think it is. Jesus answered and said, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure where? In heaven. Then come and follow me. 
When the young man heard this, he went away sad because why? He had great wealth. Now, here's a guy that had a lot going for him. In fact, many people that have this God tension aren't always on the down and outside. Many are on the well-to-do side. In fact, we know from study and research that affluence actually reduces our need for God in some minds. That if my life is pretty good right now, why would I even need a God? But this guy's poured into a dilemma because he has this eternal knowing, internal knowing that there's this eternal conversation. You know that built inside of you today is a drawing toward eternal things because you're fashioned in the image of the eternal God. And so by nature, this is why we want to live forever. This is why we focus on being younger and getting younger. This is why we think we get younger with changing our face or changing our attire. Folks, listen, celebrate your age, embrace where you are today. Be glad you have breath. No matter if you're 50 or 40 or 20 or 70 or 3,000, doesn't matter. Be glad you're alive. But our human nature is aware of this eternal conversation. We're the only creation that lives with a thought about life after death. We're the only ones. Animals don't do this, but we do this. Something inside of us says, I need to know about this eternal thing. Yet his dilemma was he had a, what do you call a misplaced or out of order loves in his life. He wanted to have this eternal dynamic But man, he sure loved everything here and now a whole lot. And when he was given the option of choosing treasure in heaven, which was his original question, his response was to walk away sad because even though he wanted to have eternal life, he sure liked the stuff he had here and now. Let me tell it to you this way. Your best day on this earth does not compare to a single second in God's presence in a place called heaven. Doesn't compare. No matter what you've seen, listen, we have a beautiful earth. God gave us a beautiful place. And whether you've seen the beauties of the mountains or the amazement of the valleys or seen the, the, the seas roll in and out or the wonderful beaches, no matter what you've seen or experienced in this life, nothing in this life even compares to a brief moment in the presence of the creator of all things. No matter where you've been and what you've done, I've had the privilege of traveling the globe in many respects. I've even kissed the most beautiful girl on the earth in Paris. That's my wife, by the way, in case you're wondering. But nothing in this life compares to one second in the presence of God. Don't let the things you have going good here take you away from the plan of God. Don't let it disturb what God can do with your life. And don't let it hinder you thinking and deceiving that you're gonna have a better life here and that, you know, that's all to come, but man, this life is great. We're so consumeristic and this is why the better we tend to do as people, the less we think we need God because we get our loves out of order. When you look at this, his self-will And his earthly affections took him from the answer he was seeking himself. And maybe today something in you is kind of gnawing that there is this thought process. There is this eternal conversation. And something in me says, I don't want to ever cease to exist. And the reason you have that gnawing is because the eternal God made you that way. He's always been. He always will be. And he's built inside of us in in the heart of man. Eternity is bound inside of you right now. And that's why you have this thinking process that says there's something after this life. Let's go to the third story. 
Maybe today you find yourself in the first. Maybe you find yourself in the idea of the guilt of life or the shame of life. Or maybe today you're in the category of the, of the middle story, which is the guy that, man, life was super good. He wasn't down and out. He had all he needed and then some. But his eternal craving was put down by his temporal fulfillments. Here's the third story real fast. This is John chapter 4. This is a woman at the well. You've probably heard of this as well. Jesus answered, he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. It makes sense, right? Anybody like to drink water? Anybody thirsty right now? You're like, yeah, where's the water at? He says, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into what? Eternal life. Now he says to her, he says, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but I have a water that if you drink of this, you'll never thirst, you'll have eternal life. Now watch what the woman says. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Now again, her whole mindset was something in the natural. His mindset was something in the supernatural or the spiritual. And he said to her, he says, uh, go and call your husband and then come back. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now watch her response. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to say when the guy just told your entire life history? Now watch what happens here. Now she begins to get religious on him. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Okay, so watch this. She has a broken life experience happening right now. She has a religious context and some history. She knows about this religious dialogue. She knows about Jews and worship and her people in worship. She knows about these things. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvations of the Jews. Watch this unfold even further. Yet a time is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, called the Christ. He's coming. Now watch this. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Look at Jesus' answer. He declared, I, the one speaking to you, I'm him. I'm he. I'm the guy you're talking about. Now let's unpack these stories and let's kind of begin with this third because we just hit this one. Here we have this woman who shows up to get some water. A natural process, a daily routine for her to go to this well. She has religious awareness, but she's living out of alignment. She has enough knowledge about spiritual things to engage in a conversation, but not enough to transform how she lives her life. I, I deal with that all the time in church. People come to church all the time with enough knowledge to have spiritual information, but a not enough heart connection with God to transform how they live their life. 
And it's not just if you can quote the Bible or know about the history of the Jews and the Samaritans. It's not enough to just know about where we worship in Jerusalem or in this mountain or this place. It's has Jesus transformed your life to the place where it changes how you live. Because coming to Christ and coming to a God relationship is not just about a weekend per year. It's about how you live every hour of every day of your entire journey. It's a complete transformation. And we can see here that her life is broken. Now, we have no clarity on the house she got to the five husbands. Maybe they had a rampant death rate among men around her. I don't know. We don't know if she was put out for divorce. We have no knowledge of her story. But it appears that her story is on the broken side of humanity. Yet she had a religious reality. Think back to the very first woman. She did not appear to have any religious paradigm. She's living a sinful life. Religion brings her and throws her in front of Jesus. He says, I don't condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. The second guy had enough knowledge about eternity to want to know what this eternal life would require of him, but he had too much affection in this life. And now we have this third person who's almost a hybrid of the two. She's got this religious awareness. She's alert to this Messiah coming But he's sitting right in front of her and talking to her, and she doesn't realize that it's him. And I think about your story, because at some level and at some point, each of us find ourselves in this conversation. When you look at her, the last woman, the woman at the well, she wasn't really seeking Jesus. She came looking for water. And this guy she's talking to offers her this water that will take away all of her thirst. And she's thinking this is natural water. Man, if I could just get away from doing this every day, that would be awesome. Give me this water so I don't have to come back to here. Well, it was never about the well in the natural. It was about the well in the supernatural, the spiritual, about the vacancy in her own soul that she was trying to fill with all the things around her. When you look at all these stories combined, you look at this third one again, and Jesus says to her, I'm the guy. What does she later do? If you read out the Gospel of John chapter 4, she goes to the village and tells everybody, come and see the man that told me everything about my life. She literally transforms her journey right there because when you encounter the risen Savior, when you encounter Jesus Christ in your life, it will change your entire life, not a few seconds, not a few hours, but the way you live every day. And so she pivots. She goes from having a story of many husbands to now being an evangelist for the good news of Jesus Christ. And today we all find ourselves somewhere in a story. about the three crosses? as well? Two thieves and the Son of God. Now, what's interesting is it appears from the story of Jesus that there should have been a third thief on the cross. The thief that Jesus was exchanged for. A man named Barabbas. A man who was condemned. He was a thief, he was a known felon in the community. And the religious people wanted so rid of Jesus that they said, give us Barabbas and kill Jesus. And so literally, even on the hillside, in a place outside Jerusalem city, Jesus died in someone's place. And here we sit today, 
2,000 years later. And I want to tell you that Jesus died in your place and in my place. Why did he die? He paid the price for the sins of the world, for my sins. The amazing thing is before I ever had the chance to commit my very first sin on this earth, Jesus had already made a pathway for me to get back to my eternal Father in heaven. He made a pathway. And he made that pathway for you today as well. When you think about the three crosses, and we think about the imagery there on that horrific day, and we see the Son of God crucified, and we see two thieves on each side, One thief looks at Jesus and begins to mock him. And some love to mock anything about Jesus. You can find all kinds of people this week as we celebrate this great entry into Jerusalem as his death, his resurrection. We find plenty of people on the earth that want to mock our faith and want to mock the person of Jesus Christ. And that will always be the case. That's nothing new. It happened then. It's happening now. But one of the thieves begins to mock him. Begin to call out things like, if you're really who you say you are, then just get us all out of here. And the other thief chose the path of believing. And his posture was different. It was more like, hey, would you you remember me? I've got nothing else to lose but to believe. And today I would say you have nothing else to lose but to believe. Because here is a reality. If any part of this is wrong and you die, and it just lights out, then you've lost nothing. If, if life comes to an end, and then the lights go out, and you cease to exist, and that was it, and that was that person, it was over, then you've lost zero by believing in Jesus Christ. But if it's true, and I believe it is true, and you reject God's plan once again today, and you leave this life, you've lost everything, And you'll spend eternity in a place for those who've been condemned because they rejected God. It's just not worth the risk. Remember, belief and unbelief are both the choice you make today. On the thief, on the cross, on the one side, he chose to mock. The other thief chose to believe and simply said, please remember me today in your kingdom. When you enter in, don't forget about me. See, the man Jesus, the Bible says to us that he was sent to save his people from their sins. This is in Matthew chapter 1. Mark chapter 2 says that he has authority to forgive our sins. Luke chapter 1 says that he has the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sin built within him. John chapter 1 says he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Second Corinthians 6 says that today is the day of salvation. Don't leave this day. Romans, I love the book of Romans, one of my favorite verses tells us there's no condemnation of those who are in Jesus Christ. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus has paid the price for you. You just have to step in that price. You have to step in that payment he made today. Now we come to your story. I gave you three stories. But really there's a more important story here, and that's you. Where you stand today with Jesus. See, we celebrate the resurrection. We know the story. We know he's alive. It changed our life. But today I want to invite everybody here into that story. 
And I want to invite you to participate in the work of Calvary, in the work of the resurrection. I want to invite you to participate in the things God has done because God has paid a price through his son Jesus for you. Jesus paid it all so you could have eternal life. You say, Marty, but I got lots of questions. That's okay. We do all kinds of things in life that have questions to them. For example, when you got married, you didn't know everything, but you made a choice, a belief. When you had kids, you sure didn't know anything. I got one amen right here at the front. But you made a choice. For many of us, our life is full of choices that we put together and we walk in those choices and when questions exist, let me tell you, I've been serving God my entire life. I've got all kinds of questions. I read every day, I pray every day, I process every day, and there's still things I'm trying to figure out and that's totally okay. But today's the day, don't leave here one more day without simply saying, Jesus, I accept you. So whether your life is exposed whether your sin is hidden, whether today you're living a very affluent life. I'm not suggesting that all those who are away from God have a bad life in this life. I'm not suggesting that you're miserable. You may love everything, but if Christ is not the center, you're going to come to a collision one day in eternity and find out that all your stuff in this life was not enough to guarantee happiness and hope in the next life to come. Or maybe today you're the unexpected person. You just showed up today because a friend brought you and someone invited you. And you're like, I'm not even sure what's going on. I'm just kind of thirsty. Can I get some coffee? And here we talk about this water that cleanses us on the inside, that takes away our thirst eternally. That's the man Jesus. I want you to come to your feet today just reverently across this house. And right now I'm going to give you an opportunity to think about your story. Let's just take a few seconds here today. And we'll go through just a, just a quiet moment today. And I want you to think about your story. Think about you today. Are you in the mocking category? Or are you in the, hey, remember me category? Are you in the accused category, the condemned category? Are you in the go and sin no more category? Are you the man that has eternal questions, but you got so much good in this life, it's hard to leave this life? Are you the unexpected person that just showed up because someone said, go to church with me on Easter, and you're just trying to be nice, and now you're here? Let's just take a second today, and let's think about your story. Let's make it awkwardly quiet. See, the truth is, no matter where you find yourself, Jesus is the same place for all of us. He's right there waiting for you to simply say, be my Savior, be my Lord today. And today I'm going to give you the chance to make that confession of faith in this service and to take a step toward God. No matter where you might stand today, we can all take a step toward God. Whether life is good or life is bad, he's still the Savior of the world today. Your goodness can't get you into God's presence and the bad things won't keep you out if you acknowledge him as your savior today. Jesus paid the price for your sins.